Hayden Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place and I'm excited to have you here. G'day and welcome to episode 88 where today I have guests Sheila and Brad who are the owners and operators of Natural Farmworks and producers of Teed Greens. Established in 2019 and situated in Brightsville, BC, Sheila and Brad's Teed Greens are made from organically grown, hand harvested, young barley, wheat and oat leaves. As a vertically integrated operation, Brad and Sheila tell a full and entertaining Teed Green startup story on today's episode, where we chat about some hard-learned lessons during the operation of a previous business, right through to the development of some custom harvesting equipment and the purchase of their traditional processing equipment from China. We also touch on their initial eight-month and ongoing market research and product development process, which I found really insightful, among many other things. So sit back and enjoy that episode. Cheers. Sheila, Brad, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I'm excited to have this conversation today because Sheila, I met you at the um, From the Ground Up trade show that Andrea Gray Grant put on, uh, which I've been to uh, a couple of times now, and it is awesome. Was that your very first trade show? Uh, no, it wasn't actually. We uh, have been to the CHFA trade show oh, as yep. well. Yep, 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 which is awesome too. I didn't see you there this year. No. <laughs> Oh, very good. So yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, bumped into you there, had a great conversation. I could see that you guys have got something special going on, uh, particularly due to the fact that you are um, growing your own tea on your own property. And um, I thought that there'd be a great story behind it. So yeah, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, our pleasure. Cool. So there's obviously the three of us on the uh, on the call today, which is pretty unique. Um, typically, I just have a one-on-one conversation. Um, but I always like to start off by saying, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, well, I was, um, I'm from Calgary, actually. Uh, I was born and raised in Calgary. My parents were entrepreneurs, and um, I always had the bug to own my own business. Um, And basically, I think that's because of my upbringing. So, you know, owning a business now is, is really great for us. And my background is several years in sales, marketing, operations management. Um, at a national level uh, for a number of retail companies, ranging from the health and beauty industry to the fashion industry. And uh, yeah, my last corporate job was in the health and beauty industry as a regional director for Canada. Oh, awesome. So you have been able to sort of like view business from all different angles and be able to bring that into this business now, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And what did your parents do? Uh, my dad is a tailor. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. And so uh, like fine, like um, fine details and like suits and stuff like that or? Yeah. Wow. Suits, uh, owned a business in Calgary. Uh, yeah. Right on uh, 8th Avenue there called Gino's Tailor Shop. Okay. It's very well known. So yeah. 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 And it's Stampede Week at the moment, isn't it? In Calgary. Yeah. 
Holy yes. moly. So it's a busy time in Calgary. I love Calgary. I spent um, two summers there, actually. I uh, In 2007, uh, my wife, I met Ash. I'm Australian, obviously. Ash, my wife, is Canadian. And we met in Lake Louise doing the ski season over there. And uh, yeah, after that season, Ash went and worked on a cruise ship um, between Vancouver and Alaska. And I went and uh, lived with nine fellas <laughs> in a house uh, in Calgary. And I was um, laboring, cutting concrete. And it was one of the best summers of my life. And that was pre um, GFC um, when everything went sideways and shut down. So we were on pretty good money and uh, managed to um, put some cash aside. And on the way back to Australia, we spent a little bit of time skiing in New Zealand and yeah, got back home. And that was a great summer. I'll never, ever forget it. And um, yeah, Calgary is a really special place. And yeah, Stampede is also something special. Um, So yeah, growing up in Calgary. And then uh, at what point did you find yourself moving out of home? Um, yeah, I, I, uh, moving out, out of Calgary. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I moved out of Calgary. I think it was, uh, I, I can't remember 2000 Okay. and I actually moved to BC and I was living in BC for about seven years. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed it. Loved it out here. Um, and then from there, my work actually took me to Ontario. So I lived in Ontario for about 12 years. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, and really enjoyed that as well. But uh, missed home, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and wanted to be close to parents and uh, moved back to Calgary. I think it was 2010. Um, and uh, was in Calgary for a couple of years and then met Brad. Okay. And then Brad enters the scene. <laughs> and Brad, where are you from? Uh, yeah, ironically, I'm also from born and raised in Calgary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Spent all my youth and uh, younger days there. Ultimately, um, I went to the university in Edmonton, which is the University of Alberta. Yeah. And uh, came back to Calgary. And it's one of those things where I, I did not have farming in my family, but mm-hmm. we were, I remember once I was sitting around the table with a bunch of friends and we were all going, what do you guys really want to do? And I said, I, I, I really want to farm. And so um, not very long after that um, would be a boy back in 1983 or four. I, mm-hmm. as I always say, while my buddies were buying motorbikes and cars, um, I bought my first little piece of property and I bought my first five cows. So instead of buying a motorbike and fancy car, I bought a few cows and, and started farming. And um, that was right around the, in Alberta, that was around an area called the Cochrane area, which is dramatically expanded by now, but yeah. Um, but yeah. And that's, that's what I did. Wow. So not having um, grown up on uh, on farmland or, you know, getting your hands dirty in that respect, how did you get started? Like, did you have any mentors or did you go and work on a farm or what was the process? Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Um, I didn't really have a mentor, but um, what was interesting is um, one of the girlfriends I had at the time was going to university to be a school teacher. And part of their curriculum is they live in small communities and are student teachers. Yeah. And the family that she lived with out of Olds, Alberta, was a farming family. And I remember I went up there and uh, spent the weekend and just not only was the family the really just down to earth, but that was my first real exposure to the farm. And I, I always tell the funny story because um, he took me to an auction, a cattle auction, and I knew nothing about cattle. Remember, I'm a city boy. You yeah. know, I just really didn't understand much about it. Um, yeah. And all these cows are coming through and I'm asking, well, you know, 
what's a Hereford and what's an Angus and what's a Charlet. And then I thought I had it all figured out. And then there was some heifer Herefords that came through and I went, what, what's a heifer now? And so that's how literally how little I knew. And he, you know, he walked me kind of through the process. And so I always stayed in touch with them, but, you know, I came to work on the farm and of course, every farm in the world loves to have free help. And so um, um, when I bought my first piece of property, I think it helped me a lot because instead of always asking the question, how do we do it? I was always asking the question, why do we do this? Hmm. Well, I was always a bit of an inner, a sort of an early adopter innovator. I, that's when I got into organic farming because I didn't, the whole chemical scene didn't make hmm. sense to me. I was into intensive grazing. And ironically, back then, that's when I got into right directly from the farm. I started to raise um, some animals, specifically some poultry, and was selling directly to some restaurants in Calgary and did a chef's tour. So I've always sort of had that little bit of, um, I guess, also entrepreneurial spirit. But at the same time, um, <clears throat> I never let my, my lack of knowledge, because I was always a bit of a knowledge vacuum, and I was always busy asking why do we do it this way? And that sort of always led me to more innovative, different practices. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's amazing. And trial and error, of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have the original piece of property now that you bought no, back I then? Don't. Um, no. What happens is it's like a lot of things. When you start to farm, you get this yearning to get bigger, and yeah. so classically, what happens is to get affordable, you tend to migrate north, okay. and. And, and that's exactly what happened. So um, the two of you met. And then um, obviously, uh, Sheila, you had your corporate career, but you had moved back to Calgary. And then at what point did the conversation become real where you're like, you know what, let's start a life on the land. Like this is something that we want to do together. And, it, you know, how did the conversation sort of go about this is what we want to do for our future? Well, I, I guess, you know, it really happened uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, Brad was actually taking a look at uh, some different things to do on the farm mm -hmm. and a little bit more innovation yeah. um, compared to what we were doing. We were primarily cattle farming at that time, or he was, and I was actually working off the farm. I, I lived in Surrey working for um, a corporate company at the time in the health and beauty industry. Yeah. Um, and of course things changed, um, with COVID for myself. And, uh, then we just started having discussions about, you know, doing something different. Um, and that's where Brad was doing some research when it came to, uh, the tea business, because mm. he actually, um, had tea and sold tea in the past back in 2006 Mm. And, um, um, and that just kind of spawned into, you know, thinking what we could do differently with that product. So. Yeah. When Sheila and I met, I, I still, I had a farm. And so it was literally the classic example of when we met, you know, one of our first or second dates was I took Sheila to the farm. Yeah. And, um, and, um, you know, it was, um, it was her first exposure to it. And then that's when we started to talk about, um, you know, different things at, at, at that point. Um, I think one of the things was that, uh, you know, prior to that, I had started a business up in the northern part of Alberta where um, I was producing green fruits. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
And uh, again, you know, being a, again a bit of a risk taker, this sort of ties back into the story where, um, you know, I was having some specific health challenges. Specifically, um, I was diagnosed, you know, in the prime of my life in my mid twenties with Crohn's disease. Yeah, that would have been and difficult. I had it quite badly to the point where um, it was, you know, I was really quite sick. And so the point was is that I needed to find something that my body could still assimilate that was easy to digest. So I, I turned to store-bought green foods, you know, mm -hmm. green drink powder that yep. you make. Yep, yep, Like every farmer, you ask yourself, I was, you know, looking at it going, well, how, why don't I just make this myself? Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. And, you know, I'd love to show you some of the old pictures, but if you could imagine, I grew barley and we grew it just to the green leaf stage. Yep. And then uh, we hooked up a, 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 a cutter that's used for cutting hay and we just attached a big blue tarp behind it. So as the, the cutter cut the barley, it would blow up the back and land on the tarp so it didn't land on the ground. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had rented a little space in, in Red Deer, Alberta, and we took the leaves in there and then we washed them. In, I, I bought sewer pipe and cut the sewer pipe in half and just attached hoses and yep. sort of had this little trough, if you will. And then yep. ultimately we put the leaves into a, uh, in, into what I call a macerator and, and then into a small press that I had um, managed to lease from a equipment company, but it was a very small press that pressed the juice out of yep. the leaf. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, we found a little spray dryer, which is a, a piece of equipment that dries a liquid into a powder. And yes, yeah. You know, the classic example is, you know, powdered milk or yeah. something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Or um or instant coffee. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, there's so many products that are spray dried. Mm -hmm. And there it was. I had produced my own my own green powder. And so um so we kind of were excited and you know, it was a way of adding value to a very basic crop in Alberta, which is barley, because we weren't taking it to the seed stage. Yeah. And it's kind of a funny story. I, um, we had this little facility and it was, you know, and I say little, I mean, it, like I said, we had a little trough where we would wash the leaves into a macerator that was mm -hmm. basically beat it up and then into a, a screw press and then mm -hmm. into the dryer. Yeah. And we had hooked up with a company that sells chemicals. Uh, they're actually called Ecolab that, um, the sales guy was coming through and he looked at me one day and said, I don't know if you're interested or not, but you know, there's a moth drop or a mothball spray drying plant up in Barhead, Alberta. And I went, Barhead, Alberta, where the heck is that? And what's a mothball spray drying plant? So sure enough, we traveled up there and that's exactly what it was. It was a, uh, a dairy, an old dairy plant that used to make butter and skim milk powder. So it had mm -hmm. this great big three story tall and they literally were just in the middle of decommissioning it for the stainless steel. So we walked into the plant <clears throat> and I remember there were some workers in there taking all the stainless steel lines apart. And I just said, who owns this? And they gave me the guy's name and I called him and he said, so you're interested in buying that facility? And I said, again, <laughs> We didn't have any wherewithal at this point. I just said, sure. And so he said, well, you come and meet us in Calgary. Yeah. So I walked into this fancy boardroom in Calgary. Yeah. I sat down in suits. I'm in jeans and a flannel shirt. <laughs> and uh, he goes, uh, so you want to buy the plant? And I go, yeah. Well, what are you going to do with it? I explained. And so, yeah. you know. It, He's you like realize, this, this young hippie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. 
this guy's... And, and what year was this? Uh, that would have been 1980, wasn't it? No, 19... No, 86. Okay. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was a kind of an interesting man because yeah. what happened is he, uh, I said, he said, well, do you, he literally looked at me, do you have any money? And of course, being an entrepreneur, you always lie about of course. Something. Yeah. You lie about two things. Yeah. We have the money and B, of course we can fill that order, even though it's like, you know, oh my God, how are we going to do that? So I said, yeah. And he said, okay. So he said, how much are you willing to pay for it? And I said, I have no, how much is a spray drying plant? Like this is a little me you know, I don't know how many square feet it was, you know, 20,000 square feet and three stories tall. So he wrote on a little piece of paper and slid it across me and said, that's what we want for it. I have no problem in saying that it was incredibly low price. They just wanted out of it. Yeah. Now, when I say incredibly low, it was still a few hundred thousand dollars. And, and it was probably like the scrap value of the stainless steel almost. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what yeah. it was to them. Yeah. It was just the scrap value of the stainless. Yeah. So he said, can you raise that money? And I went, of course we can. And so I walked out of the meeting and I, I, I literally, I think I was in there with um, a partner that I had, because at that point I had developed a, a natural mineral for livestock and, and we were working on that business. Mm. And I just looked at him and said, how the heck are we going to find five? It was actually $500,000. Yeah. And I said, so we just, started doing what every young entrepreneur does. You go to your friends and your family and went and uh, I phoned him back and said, yep, we have the money. So I said, okay, great. It's done. Sign here. We signed it. And I owned a spray drying plant. And I remember I walked in there and this was not a, a, a spray drying plant that wasn't sophisticated. It had, it had high pressure boilers. It had a, a three-story tall evaporator, separators, tanks, freezers because it was for making butter and skim milk powder. yeah 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 so we walk in there and i'm looking at this going how does this even work and um this older guy walked in and he looked at me and he said hi uh are you the new owners and i went yeah as a matter of fact we are and he goes well i used to work in this plant for 15 years and i went you're hired, you're hired. yeah <laughs> yeah and his name was gary and i never forget to this day um <laughs> Bless his soul. He's the one who said, literally, you know, to make it very simple, yeah. here's how it works. Yeah. And that was it. And so the next thing I knew, we were in the green foods business. And um, and uh, I was, again, the learning curve was straight up and down because mm. initially we went to a bunch of farmers to grow the crop for us. But yeah. that turned out to be, you know, a bit more challenging because they, often wouldn't seed when you wanted and you know we didn't so we just decided to start buying some of our own farmland and uh i have a picture where so envision this barley plant is about 15 inches tall when you cut it yeah but it's all leafy and so when we brought it into the facility it was like well how do we get it in and i remember we created this great big fan and i have this picture of two of the workers that we hired and me and gary and that we're trying to blow these leaves into the facility because they're receiving and it's all over the place and <laughs> the leaves are getting tangled up and it's just like, oh my goodness. And um, that was just, you know, months and months and months of trying to figure out how to do something as simple as receive product from the field and initiate the process. And so, um, so yeah, it wasn't for the, uh, you know, and uh, lots of long days trying to just, figure all that out but yeah. eventually we got it nailed and uh 
the facility became a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day operation, uh, had 45 full-time employees. Yeah. Like I always say, one day I drove into the parking lot and I knew everybody's car was. And then one day I drove in, I went, I don't even know who's half these cars are. That's how that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. We were supplying green foods to all these large health food companies. Yeah. Um, and and uh, that that many years that we were in business, um, the business did, you know, what I'll say reasonably well, it was, it was nicely profitable. And, um, you know, we're all, I mean, I'll, I'll even give you another crazy story. You know, when we wanted to figure out how to cut this properly and not put it on the ground. So I got this crazy idea to, to get a cotton picker from Texas because mm-hmm. cotton pickers pick the cotton and blow it into this big cage behind them. Mm-hmm. When it pulled into town on the flat deck, we had some of the local neighbors come over and go, what the heck is that? Because, of course, you do not see a cotton picker in northern Alberta. Said, it's a cotton picker. And they went, what the heck are you going to do with a cotton picker? So we drove What is the hippie the up to now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we drove into the field. And, of course, it didn't work. Cotton is way lighter, of course. And we just yeah, couldn't okay. create enough air to... But that, I mean, again, I have pictures of us all watching this with faded breaths and it's going to work and then realizing uh, it's not going to work. So then what do you do with a cotton picker in Alberta? Well, somehow I sold it because someone bought it through some other yeah. crazy idea. But, um, but yeah, I ran that business and, um, and uh, became honestly uh, very proficient at, you know, basically understanding how to manage the fields because we were growing all our own crop. And mm-hmm. when I say now at this point, we're producing on a very large level we had over i think a thousand acres in cultivation of certified organic land yeah and every day we were harvesting you know north of probably thirty thousand kilos a day wow yeah we, yeah then, you know, we had big, you know big presses and squeezed the juice and yeah like i said the spray dryer was you know three stories tall so yeah. it had a large evaporative capacity and boom we were we were growing green foods and unbelievable what was this business called? Uh, well, it was still Natural Farm Works, which is right. what the, yeah. the business is still. I, I yeah. kept that name, and um, and uh, yeah, and so um, and then you know, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but one of the realities was is that we found a very large American company that specialized. It was a multi-level marketing company, and you know how they're always looking for exclusive products. Mm-hmm. They uh, they heard somehow heard about us and flew up to beautiful northern Alberta and said, we'd like you to supply our company with green foods. We are one of the largest sellers of green foods. And so we created a relationship with them. And that relationship went really well for, boy, four to five years. They were huge customers and um, learned a very valuable lesson that when you put all your eggs in one basket, mm-hmm. if someone takes that basket away, mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. It was quite honestly, it was a bit unscrupulous, but one day they just phoned us and said, by the way, we're going to be producing our own product. And, uh, and it kind of, and that was in the spring and they'd already issued a purchase order for the year and then they rescinded it. And uh, I remember that day as if it was yesterday, looking around going, you know, because we, you know, you, a company requires, you know, you know, really depends on those cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, uh, that was a, a very hard moment, but, um, but that, that in that whole process was the day, one day I just went into the field and I was taking these green foods and we used to call the green food shivers. 
Um, you know, when you drink green food, sometimes you go, oh, God, because it's so strong. Yeah. It's got to be a better way. So then sure enough, we, we harvested some barley leaf and we had a large dehydrator in this facility as well. And we just dehydrated it and uh, blended it with some herbs. And, uh, um, you know, we still have the original cans and the original product in the pantry here. But uh, that and, and we sold that tea a little bit locally and to sort of local people. And that was back then. That was probably... Um, 2006, I think. Yeah, yeah. 2006. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then what happened is the you know the company really fell on some hard times as we transitioned from one huge large customer that was responsible for 90 percent of our volume. Yeah. Trying to find other companies and and um, and so I, I ended up having to sell the business and right. uh, and uh, it's still alive today, not as a green food company, but yeah. Uh, the spray drying facility is still alive. And um, <clears throat> yeah, that was, the, and you know, as you can imagine, failure creates a lot of really good experience. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. not failure that it's not success creates change. It's failure that creates change mm -hmm. at a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I learned a lot of things from that. Yeah. For sure. Not but, only that, I'm sure you probably learned a lot about yourself and the way that you react to those situations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really, really good point. And yeah, uh, you know, I was a very, and still I'm a very big believer. We had a very loyal staff. Yeah. Um, and um, we even got large enough that we actually brought workers up from Mexico. And then yeah. they brought their families up. And, wow. you know, I knew that we had really integrated well into the community because um, the, the, uh, these Mexican workers that we brought up were just wonderful. They were mm -hmm. just the salt of the earth. And when they brought up their families... Um, they lived in this little community up in northern Alberta. And one day they put on a Mexican hat dance at the local community hall. And all the locals came and, of course, were just like, wow. Yeah. Um, because back then there was this little bit of, a, honestly, uh, some ignorance relating to, you know, immigration and foreign workers and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, um, but they were hard workers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, you know, and, and that's where you really get hurt hard is when you realize that the business is starting to not just fail financially, but fail the very people that you've come to really create relationships with. That's, that to me was the gut check, you know, where you have to go to them and say, we're going to have to lay you off. And, and they've established themselves in the yeah. community. Yeah. By this time, we'd been in business for several years. So people had, and we paid our people well, because in Northern Alberta, of course, you're always competing with the big, um, oil industry in northern yeah. you know yeah. yeah handsomely so we paid our people well um and uh it was really that 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 was the gut check is not just the having to sell the business because they were going to retool it and redirect it was just breaking those loyal relationships you created with your staff over those years that's uh that that's very memorable to me yeah i can only imagine and sheila where were you at this stage you were working in the business as well um, I was actually working in retail at that okay. time because this would have been 2006. So we hadn't right. yet. And oh, so right, right, right. Okay. 2012. Yeah. Understood. So, okay. Like, yeah. Got you. Yeah. Wow. So this has been a hell of a journey already. And so then I'm assuming, so um, the business moved on or you um, shifted the business. And at what time did you decide to actually focus on tea? 
Yeah, so um, I was I was living on the farm, and Sheila was working um, full time in the Lower Mainland. Yeah, and I was living on the farm um, in in BC and in, in outside of Kamloops. Yeah, got you. And okay, one morning I took that old tea out again, and I looked at it, and I went, "This really actually was a good idea," you know, because it had it had stopped as well when the, when the business did. Mm-hmm. So I started to research it, and. Um, and uh, the um, and I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to resurrect it, but this time with a bit of a twist is that I started to really kind of research, because remember before all we did was dehydrate the leaves, chop them into kind of like a very sort of primal tea cut and blend them with herbs. We didn't actually take the leaves and process them like they do conventional tea, right. i.e., you know, green oolong and black tea where you oxidize the leaf. Okay. So I started to research how tea is made. And, um, and then I remember phoning Sheila and saying, I think we, this is a great idea. I think we should do this. Yeah. And uh, you, like, you probably remember that day. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I remember all of the notes and all the research that he was doing when it came to you know, the green, the oolong and the black processing methods and yeah. the equipment. And, um, and that's when he partnered with a Chinese tea master or right. tea guru um, yeah. and was in communication with him uh, like months and months uh, trying to determine whether our leaf uh, would be a good fit to process in that manner. The varietals um, that you were growing. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and then it just, um, evolved from there to, uh, yes, this would be a good fit. And we had some, uh, equipment designed to, you know, deal with our leaf as opposed to the tea leaf, cause they're quite different. Okay. The barley leaf is a lot longer. Um, whereas the tea leaf is, you know, from a, from a, a bush, which is yeah. a lot smaller. So yeah. There were some, you know, design requirements and, um, you know, Brad was working with him on, on that. They, they nailed it. And, um, he actually designed some machinery on tea harvesting, which was amazing as well, that now the company in China actually sells to companies in well, they sold, the world. So. Yeah. They sell it as a as a herb harvester and they sold many of them to companies that grow lavender. Wow. Okay. France. So I said, to, his name is Cho, C-H-O-I-S. And you can imagine by this time, we probably exchanged hundreds of back and forths, right? On yeah. Yeah. WhatsApp, of course. Right. And yeah. Uh, or, or phone calls. Yeah. And he said to me one day, you should have taken a patent. I was going to say that. I was going to say, did you get a patent on it? But you didn't. Yeah, did we you? did. It was ah. just, you yeah. know, yeah. They would, I would say what we needed and they yeah. would kind of design yeah, yeah, it yeah. and yeah. all, et cetera, et cetera. And we needed yeah. it low to the ground and, yeah. and we wanted it to be somewhat, you know, um, manual because we were, you know, hand harvesting. And yes. so the guy phone and said, yeah, we just sold a few of your harvester d- design, exact same one to a large lavender producer in France. And I went, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I said, wow, myself. So yeah, no, where's my cut? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, but he was, he has been very, very helpful throughout the whole thing. And, um, mm. and not just because he understands the equipment, but their company is unique that they also own their own tea, 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 uh, plantation. Okay. So a lot of their 
R&D and stuff is done in relation. Because I know there'd be days I'd talk to him and he'd be going, oh, we just came back from a big harvest. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, he was great at helping me. Literally, I, I'd love to show you the notes of mm. what is long tea and mm. what is the difference and how long do you, you know, oxidize it? And mm. why does everybody use the word fermentation when it comes to tea? When in fact, the only tea that's fermented is, you know, poor tea, right? P okay. RHT and it's um anyway so yeah it was just a lot of learning curve there for sure unbelievable and so you said the gentleman's name was Cho yeah did you meet yep. online uh yeah yeah I met him online exactly I I found their company in yep. China on the web and then yep. I I contacted him and then you know it's it's interesting it took him a while to understand because I said you know we're, oh you're growing tea oh yeah no 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 we're growing tea, but we're making it from barley, wheat, and oats. But, so I would send him pictures and drawings and, yeah. <laughs> and you know, he finally, you know, he finally, okay, I get what you're doing now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Have yeah. you ever met? Have you Not been to China? No. Person, but, wow. but I would welcome him. Yeah. Video. We do some video. Yeah. 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 Um, but I would love him one day to, I said, you know, you've got to fly into Vancouver and come on out here one yeah. day. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, he's been absolutely, absolutely instrumental in helping us with yeah. this business. I can imagine. So how long has this relationship been for now? Since 2020, right? Okay. Yeah. A couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I see that you've got a, uh, like a very authentic, it, would it be almost like an antique tea press as well that you've got at the farm too? Or yeah. like piece yeah. of equipment? Yeah. So yeah. we have a literally a traditional tea processing line from yeah. the withering and even on our withering like we use big bamboo um withering racks withering racks yeah beautiful they're all you know it's all written in in chinese, chinese. and um, and then we we run through the whole process and each piece of equipment was designed by their company for yeah. traditional tea now we've made a few modifications yeah um but we do exactly the process that is undertaken for a millennial in making mm -hmm. tea. We're, we're doing the exact same process from mm -hmm. withering to rolling, you know, to fixing, to, to, you know, oxidizing, to drying. Unbelievable. So you've got the product and it's very, very high quality and it's delicious. I know I can attest to the fact. Um, and my wife is really enjoying it as well. So thank you very much for the sample from the trade show. Um, now, at what point did you realize that you wanted to commercialize this product and take it out into the world? And was your idea to, you know, sell wholesale or direct to consumer or what was your idea there? Well, you know, just... I, th I think the challenge was as the conversation that Sheila and I had, and I call them kitchen table conversations, is there is no third-party contractor we can do this with. There is yeah. nobody in Canada making that we could say, we'll bring you our leaves. Can you please make it into tea mm -hmm. for us? So mm -hmm. we looked at each other and said, we need to make an investment in yeah. the, the tea processing line, the equipment yeah. from China. And it was in concert with that conversation that we said, you know what? When I made tea the first time, people liked it. They liked it. it was tasted a bit different, but they liked the idea of it. And I said, I think that there's an opportunity here. And and Sheila agreed. And and so we agreed that we were going to um, begin to make it and and then start to sell it on a on a much larger scale. Yes. Yeah. And develop a brand around it. And what was your initial strategy for going out there and you know sampling the product with people and um, you know doing some market research around it? Yeah, so I'll speak to half of it, and then I know she will too. Is the first thing that we had to do was we did a lot of field trials. Like I actually, we have pictures of where we grew different varieties 
of barley wheat oats and even other things like some triticale and uh, you know some quinoa just to see exactly. And then I built a really little cheap little dehydrator um, just using a little heater. So and we were hand rolling and <laughs> the whole nine yards just so we could make sure we understood it. Yeah. yeah. But then on the other side with Sheila, you should speak to your her courses and your focus yeah, groups. We, yeah. um, I, I decided to do a few focus groups. And although the process was lengthy and, and a lot of work, mm -hmm. it, it paid off as we, we got a lot of invaluable information from those focus groups itself. And it helped us refine the product and, mm -hmm. and, and the product and the formulations as well as the packaging. I also partnered with a couple of local herbalists that helped me uh, with our product formulations and and uh, coming up with herbs that are are the best combinations for that leaf um, and what would taste better. So, um, you know, we were able to to come up with the formulations that worked for that leaf. Um, and I also enrolled in an extensive herb blending course. Um, uh, for, I'm not even sure how long it was. I think it was like about eight months, um, mm -hmm. learning the ins and outs of how to blend herbs and, and specifically it was for tea blending, but, um, I was able to adjust that, uh, using herbalists, the two herbalists, um, knowledge and then, and then just go from there. Amazing. And, um, and so this is something that you felt quite passionate about, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, perfect. And throughout this process, um, Brad, how was your Crohn's? Like, was it something that you had under control because of the tea and the barley and all of that that you're consuming as well? How did I win? I'm sorry. Because of your Crohn's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Because um, the, the very bottom line for us is above all else, we wanted to make sure that we were producing something that was healthy and would yeah. beneficial. And yeah. if you've known anybody that has, you know, to be kind of sort of a fairly direct about it, what I call gut issues, whether yes. it's Crohn's or I, you know, you tend colitis. To... My grandmother had colitis for years okay. and years and years. It was debilitating right. for her. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that you tend to navigate your day based on your stomach, right? Yeah. So you have a, I used to have a very specific supplement regime and, and um, you know, et cetera. And so we've incorporated that into the tea. Like for example, um, obviously we have one that's the turmeric, we have one that's the mint, right? Cause these are things that I relied on. Like I would take turmeric capsules two or three a day, just to mm. the anti-inflammatory properties, but you know, you, you know, this whole pill swallowing and I'm calling it the barley shivers. So, so when Sheila was, you know, learning more about the craft of blending, um, we would always talk about making sure at the end of the day, there, there was this health benefit because for me. I mean, to this day, um, you know, it's still a big part of my regime. Mm. And mm -hmm. so, um, and, and the truth is, and you probably have countered this many times yourself, you have to believe in your own product. This yeah. wasn't just a financial endeavor. This was personal to me and mm. it was personal to Sheila. And even I see it to this day because, you know, she took these courses and did these blends and mm. sent it to the focus group. Mm -hmm. And some people come back and go, Ooh, I don't like number three. <laughs> And Sheila would go, what's wrong with number three? We like a number three. You know, what is the, what is the matter for you, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. it's very personal. And yeah. um, that's the thing. And, and I, I genuinely believe that the, that the health side of this, and even, you know, this morning, you know, I'm, I'm actually out seating this morning before a call. 
Yeah. Um, it matters to me how I do it. It matters to me, you know, what we're doing because mm-hmm. we're taking this product, right? So mm. that's that's for sure. And Sheila, I'd love to dig into the focus groups a little bit more with you because it sounds like it was really instrumental in the development of, you know, the the blends that you've put together. So how did you come about building out these focus groups? How big were they and sort of the duration of time that you were working with them? Yeah, no. Um, uh, so there were three different focus groups and I decided to choose like three different demographics and yep. um, just to kind of give us a, a full gamut of, of, of people and, and what would be our customer. Uh, in each group, there was anywhere between 10 to 15 people. And this was during COVID. So uh, all of it was online. Mm. Uh, so mm-hmm. we would have our online Zoom meetings. Um, I, I put together packages for them of our tea and the product formulations that we had at the time. And I think we had 10 blends in total for each of our focus groups and I mailed out to each individual and I actually asked them to have other people join into their Mm. tea tasting Mm -hmm. ceremonies as we called it. Um, And then I sent out a complete um, uh, questionnaire and I think it was like five pages long for them to complete and fill out. Um, And it it was all online. and we got all the feedback from that. Um, and it was, a, the process took, gosh, per focus group, I think it was anywhere between two to three weeks Wow. Yep. Um, to gather all of the feedback. And like I said, it was invaluable by the time we put everything together to understand, you know, from um, ages 18, all the way up to ages, you know, 65. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what people preferred and and uh, what they liked about our product and what they didn't at that time, yeah. we were able to just really refine it and make 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 those changes that um, then we could launch with and and mm-hmm. and go forward. So yeah, uh, just to interrupt, Sheila did a really great job of putting together the the survey and and we decided to um, numerize it so that. Like, for example, on this rating from one to five, how do you like the physical appearance of this tea? You know, yep. one to five, how do you like the aroma before you steep? How do you like the aroma when you are steeping it? What's the mm-hmm. first sense you have when you first sip it with, you know, sucking air through your mouth? Mm. And then we could tabulate those numbers. And it was mm-hmm. really quite interesting because then, you know, we built a spreadsheet yeah. and we had all these varieties and then we had different demographics. And then we could say, oh, they liked, they didn't, they want, yeah. and that's, that part of it was almost a little bit analytical. Yeah. It was, it's you know, fun, isn't it? Yeah. I, I actually really enjoy doing that sort of qualitative and quantitative yeah. market research too. And, you know, what sort of, um, what were some surprising things that you, um, that you teased out of the data that really helped you move in a direction that you weren't anticipating? I, I, I think the biggest thing was the m- millennial portion of the focus group yep. and how much they actually liked our tea yeah. um, and their taste buds and what they liked yep. compared to, um, you know, our typical uh, 35 to 55 consumer. Um, yep. And, and 
we never thought that a, a millennial would would enjoy our tea like it, mm. it would even be something that they would want to be a part of yeah but it was such a um a high rating from mm. the millennials that we thought yes this is definitely you know it is our consumer as mm. well so we need to appeal to that as well so that was a that was huge um it, the, the other part of it was just the, the tasting portion of it and, and how everybody's taste buds are just so different. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because I like cinnamon doesn't mean, you know, mm-hmm. everybody else is going to like it. And uh, the amount of people that don't like cinnamon, like it was, you know, kind of surprising to me that there were herbs that I completely loved mm. that other people were like, yuck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> never, ever fathom having that in a tea. So, uh, those are, those were some, some things that I, I found very interesting. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Flavors yeah. are so polarizing and personal. Like I've come from the coffee industry. I've said it a few times on the show, but I was previously working at salt spring coffee and coffee was all I knew and coffee tasting is very, very similar to tasting wine. And I'm sure tasting tea as well, you know, and being in tune with your palate. And over time you build up a sort of a catalog of terminologies that you can use while you're tasting it and you become really familiar with it. And one thing that we used to talk about at, um, at a previous employer that I was at called Axel coffee roasters in Melbourne was sort of getting cellar palate, you know, like you're constantly tasting your coffee all day every day you become so familiar with all of the different flavor profiles that you've developed and uh, what we would often do is we would bring in um, competitors coffees and you know line them up along ours just so that we could sort of like expand upon our um upon our vocabulary and you know ensure that the coffee that we were roasting up was in alignment with who we were targeting and and you know making sure that we were being consistent too so when you guys are you know out there growing your um your tea and you're processing it how do you ensure that there's consistency in the product that you're putting out there and when you're blending the different um tea blends that they're consistent in flavor profile as well I think that the, the biggest thing, what I'd go back to my previous experience, because ultimately uh, the facility, we were PASIP certified. Yeah. Um, and so, and we had dedicated lab personnel. And because we were selling to some large companies, they had very, very stringent uh, guidelines in terms of everything from the microassay of the product to mm. the, what I call the organoleptic aspects of the product. And so, we've incorporated that into our business. So we, we pay attention to the little things like, um, you know, like from the, from the field, you know, even when we receive, we, we do a lot of things that are very, you know, like I think most companies are forced to do to keep track because as you know, if you don't, if you don't measure it, you can't control it. So we, when we bring the product into the plant, the first thing we do is weigh it. And I, I know how much we've, you know, seeded, um, literally, and then I, we harvest and we keep track of those, that um, quantitative data as we process. And so then we have some very accurate scales, both micro and some larger scales. And then, and then we also, when we purchase outside product, we, we ask for um, certificates of analysis, of course, we ask for their certification that they're certified organic. And we also ask for a micro assay. And then we partnered with, um, 3M has a really good food safety program, and um, that includes, you know, everything from agar dishes and and um, you know what this this little device that you wipe the surfaces of your equipment to ensure 
that they are in fact sanitized. And um, those were all practices that I brought from the previous mm -hmm. business because we mm -hmm. really had to pay attention. You know, we were audited by these companies. They'd often send an auditor yeah. to our plant, yeah. a safe food safety auditor, right? And then, yeah. and so, um, and so that's how we do it. Now, the one thing we have learned that is harder to control is when we source, we don't grow all our own herbs. We're, we're just getting into that, but there's some herbs that we simply cannot grow here that we rely on um, very heavily. And um, um, we've noticed that with our suppliers that you get a difference in, in potency. And, and as a matter of fact, we just went through that a little bit with yeah. some ginger. Okay. Um, we got a ginger from a supplier that was just wickedly strong yeah <laughs> wicked being a good wicked yeah and it you know we had to do some sort of blending adjustments to make sure that that organoleptic component it was still you know fairly fairly consistent um but um but yeah so those are some of the things we do to ensure the consistency of our of our product and we Beautiful. do have you know recipes and yeah the product formulations that we follow consistently, except when we are changing, like Brad spoke of, um, to a different herb yeah. supplier and, and yeah. we notice that there's a difference in taste. Yeah. 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 It's incredibly important because, you know, your consumers come to rely on a flavor, you know, and they want to, they want that cup of tea every morning, you know, they want that flavor. Yeah. Um, tell me now that you've got a, a good understanding of the product that you're putting out there, you've got consistent quality, you believe in the product in that it's got all of the benefits that you believe in, in the product you're out there selling it in the world. And talk to me a little bit about the feedback that you get from consumers, what you do with that information and, uh, and a little bit about your expansion strategy, because I'm sure that you've got grand plans for this brand and I'd love to hear all about it. Well, um, as far as the feedback. One of the things that has surprised us remarkably is we've started in the last month to go to farmers markets. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We never, we, you know, I know there's lots of farms that go to farmers markets to sell mm -hmm. their, their wares, but what we realized it was just like a massive focus group because we, we hand out samples and, you know, they'll taste it. And, um, and it's all varieties of people. And, um, you know, from little to, to, to big and young to old, et cetera. And um, we use that feedback immediately. I mean, yeah, and, and, we, and we tabulate it and just make sure that we're, it just, for lack of better words, it just keeps us relevant. You know, yeah, it just keeps absolutely. us relevant to the consumer. And, and that's that, because, you know, you can put your product on a shelf, but if the consumer never comes back and buys it, you never know about it. You just don't, you don't, you don't actually know who they are. Like no, you're just selling the product out of there and you never hear and you're like, oh, do they actually? yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Whereas a farmer's market, they're right in front of you. Yeah. And sure enough, the next weekend they come back and, you know, yeah. uh, they'll say to you, Oh, I love that tea. Um, mm -hmm. My friend wants to try it now, mm -hmm. or, you know, I want to try one of your other varieties or something. So so that's that's that for sure. Yeah, and um, the biggest thing that we do at farmers markets is we we always allow our customers to try our products. So mm. uh, we do sampling um, yeah. constantly um, on our teas and and allow you know clients to to taste it for themselves. Whether you know we do a cold brew or a hot brew, mm -hmm. and that in itself really supports us because um, a lot of people say, well, I don't really like this 
in a tea or I don't like this particular herb mm. and then we allow them to taste it and they and I've seen several people change their mind yeah. and go oh that does taste really good yeah. and um you know I I think that's so important and and you know that feedback in itself is is really important for any business um growing and and moving forward for sure yeah um, unreal. Now, um, Brad, obviously you turned up at a boardroom table and you purchased a huge piece of equipment. That was a huge capital outlay and there was a lot of risk involved. You know, you got that business operational and you saw some successes and you saw some failures that kept you up at night and had to make some hard decisions over the years. And uh, Sheila, you've come from a, you know, a higher profile, you know, corporate background where you were running around the whole of Canada and you've found yourself on the farm. And obviously you're highly involved in this business too. And you guys have got this business operational. So if you were to go back to 2006 with the knowledge that you have now from all of the accumulated years of running and operating businesses and being involved in businesses, what business advice would you give yourself today? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that was a good question that you asked um, because, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could actually do that? If yeah. you could go back to the future and, and then come back and say, here's what you... But I think the thing that struck me the hardest was that a couple of things. First of all, that um, the, the perseverance is definitely not an overused word. I mean, to get something going, um, you just have to keep persevering because just the nature of, of, of business is that, you know, it's kind of like that classic line that's, yeah, we're a four year overnight success, right? I mean, um, and then what I come to would sort of give my advice is that, first of all, it's okay to second guess yourself because when you're second guessing yourself, it means you're applying some critical thinking to what you're doing. You're not just sort of on a runaway thinking, I know for sure this will work. You're always yeah. sort of second guessing. And what ties into that for me, which I've come to recognize, maybe it's part of the wisdom we get as we're older, is you're, you're not going to get everything right. You just You just can't. As a startup and starting in a new business, mm -hmm. you just have to accept that as hard as you work to try to get everything right, there are some things you're not going to get right. And mm -hmm. that means you're going to have to find a way to either create, you know, contingencies or be willing to change your direction a little bit mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, absorb those um, things that you don't get right and then mm -hmm. find a way to make them right. And I think coming to realize that you aren't going to get everything right there's a certain calmness that comes with that. You know, you do your best, but the truth is you can't, you just can't get everything right. It's just, it's just not possible. And so um, I think those are the things that I, I would have said to myself. Yeah, that, what would you say? Shane? I mean, and that rings true for me because I'm the ultimate perfectionist and, you know, at, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur is really kind of the opposite of that mm. <laughs> where, you know, you're, you're, it, it can't be perfect all the mm. time and um and just persevering and, and moving forward is is really what it's all about when there are those sometimes little failures that that happen throughout you know building a company and mm -hmm. and you know making a brand and and uh, making a product that people like so mm. yeah so that is really you know it, it really rings true for me for sure that's awesome. Yeah. I've always sort of looked at it through that scientific lens of, you know, you come up with your list of assumptions, what you believe to be true, and then you've got to get out, go, to, go out and test all of those assumptions. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool. If we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Yeah. Go ahead, Sri. You can start. Um, okay. Well, while Sri gathers her thoughts, <laughs> I will say that that's all right. Um, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Um, we have now just built a new standalone building for our yes. production. All right. Yep. And um, on the on the farm here, and so um, it's just getting commissioned as we speak. Um, so we're just moving the equipment in place and getting everything energized, etc. So obviously, you know, getting that that facility completely up and running and running and working the bugs out would be that. Certainly, we've talked about you know every company would like to see our revenue to continue to increase. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also importantly is um, we're we're both big believers in relationships. So we are now starting to create some some good relationships with our suppliers. Yeah, and we're creating some good relationships with our customers, whether they be we're just starting to get into some retail stores. So you're starting to deal with their their buyers and um, yeah. and you know and I think what's a good year would look like it would be that. You've, you've created some good relationships with those people that both you, your business relies on, both for, you know, either supplying your business or also the, the, the you know, people that are, are willing to take a chance and, and list your product in their, their retail store. So yeah, absolutely. I think that would look at what would you add? I, I mean, you know, ultimately expanding our workforce right now, it's just the two of us. Yeah, that'd be helpful, wouldn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah. A, a good year would be about um, hiring teams and, and you know, developing the relationship with those teams and providing the local community with employment opportunities as well, because we're, you know, just outside of a Soyuz. So there's... Mm. There's not a lot of, you know, employment opportunities here for the locals and um, for our company to do that, I think is huge for, for this community. So yep. I, I think, you know, that, that is definitely something that would benefit. Beautiful. Well, listen, guys, um, I loved your story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. And I loved your product. And thank you very much uh, once again for uh, allowing me to sample some at the trade show. Um, if anybody wanted to get in touch and learn a little bit more or um, ask some questions, what's the best way for them to go about it? Yeah, they can, um, they can definitely go online to our website and all of our contact information is on there and they can contact us on there. And that's um, at... Um, www.naturalfarmworks.ca. Yep. Lovely. And uh, are you on LinkedIn as well? Uh, we are. We are on LinkedIn as well. Okay. Uh, we are on Facebook and um, Instagram. Perfect. I'll put all of the links down in the show notes. And thank you very much. Uh, you also generously uh, gave all of the listeners today a, uh, a discount code for 10% off a purchase. I'll make sure that I uh, put that down in the show notes for everybody down there. And I do urge you to uh, check that out because it's a beautiful tea. Um, awesome, guys. Well, look, thank you so much for the story today. I really enjoyed it and uh, good luck for the future. Thank you. Thanks, all right. Steve. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time out of your busy day to join me for today's episode. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation or if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at thepackheavypodcast. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about how I can help you with your business and your packaging vision, feel free to drop me a line and we'll continue the conversation there too. I'll see you next week.